If Reality Check Radio enriches your day in life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and the dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Guy Armstrong is the author of How Essential is Fluoride? What Do the Experts Say? from 2020, the first of three books. And we thought that uh, we'd get Guy on to talk about this. He's also written a three-part article uh, on this issue, which is on a substack, which uh, is easy, searchable Guy P.D. Armstrong substack. You'll get there. Anyway, Guy Armstrong is on RCR. Guy, welcome to our radio station. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you very much for having me, Paul. Really appreciate I, it. I, I could talk for hours on fluoride because I'm really exercised yeah. about it. I don't, I don't think uh, we should have compulsory public medication in the water supply. I think that's completely against all our rights. Could bang Absolutely. on about that. Yeah. Also, then there's the evidence side from what I've seen so far and um, understanding that toxicology report from the US, which I've read most of. There's nothing really in reality that pins it to any sort of health. So where does that leave fluoride, do you think? Well, I, I've not read the um, toxicology report, the recent one. The, the guy who's done a lot of that, I think he's already been on your show. His name's Kane Titchener. Yeah, um, Kane here in New Zealand. Um, and we yeah. were talking about those findings, which showed, among other things, because there was more than one, um, IQ drops for kids yeah. um, through yeah. uh, their 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 mothers and milk, et cetera, and, and drinking lots of water from that yeah. supply when they're young. So there's really nothing, it, it seems... I can't, and my grandmother was one of those classic public dental nurses who believed in this thing. So, okay. you know, I've heard it. I've heard it all. I can't find anything positive to say about fluoride. Yeah, me, me neither. For the most part, yeah. Um, I don't want to sort of come across as an extremist at all. Um, here's here's the book. I don't know if you're recording just the audio or the video, but now we're taking the, the audio. But I can the, describe. I can describe it. How sex was fluoride and. Uh, Boy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fat. So, what do the experts say? First of all, experts, that's the most over overused description of a professional yeah, body ever used now, isn't I it? I think so. So the when when I say experts, I generally mean the people who advocate for fluoridation just because um, the word has kind of been co-opted or misused a little. So when you hear a phrase like all the experts agree that fluoridation is safe and effective, that's not really true if the word expert means a person who knows a lot about it. So you you know a fair bit about it. Kane Titchener knows a fair bit about it. You know, Paul Connor and John Calhoun and John Yamianis and George Walbot and Mary Byrne and Mark Atkin and, you know, the list goes on. Those people all opposed fluoridation and they knew a heck of a lot about it. And many of them still do, ones that are still alive do. Uh, but they're somehow not included in statements like all the experts agree fluoridation is safe and effective. Yeah, even why do you, they've got a heck of a lot of knowledge. Why do you think that is? I heard uh, Mary Byrne, um, no, no, um, Kane Titchener of Fluoride Free NZ, and I think he was talking um, on a phone call on the platform. He was being made to justify, like, to the most incredible level standard any sort of knowledge he had as if he wasn't capable of having any knowledge in this area. Yeah. And that was the default from the interviewer. We all know who that was anyway. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a bizarre double standard because uh, 
my my work here is uh, perhaps I can give you an example. The sort of sure. core of my study was comparing experimental evidence that tested if fluoride was a nutrient. So, you know, deprivation experiments. So you can sort of ask, how do we know calcium's an essential nutrient? Well, we deprived animals of calcium, but made sure there was enough iron, magnesium, protein, and so on in their diets. So we can isolate this calcium deficiency and see horrible effects of not enough calcium. And then we can say, well, calcium is definitely an essential nutrient and there is a deficiency state that goes along with lacking it. Um, so I compared experiments like that, but done with fluoride and attempting to minimize fluoride. Um, and then I compared that with the technical literature, uh, like government documents and compared that with media statements. And when you look in the media, I looked at around 5,000 media articles, that's maybe 4,000 uh, New Zealand and Australian and about 1,000 USA articles. You know, 99% of the time, the experiments are not mentioned at all when these right. people say fluoride is an essential nutrient, which is basically a false claim. Even, you know, it should never have got off the ground. Uh, back in the 1930s, three of these experiments uh, conclu uh, concluded it's not a nutrient. Um, if people want to know about the quality of those experiments, those, those three in particular, the quality was not sort of terribly good or terribly bad. If you read the discussions on them in the World Health Organization and National Academy's uh, you know, writings, a national meaning American, um, they're not sort of complimented or disrespected in a huge way. Right. Um, so to sort of get back to your question about justifying it, it's a real bizarre double standard because when these people who advocate fluoridation um, in New Zealand tell us in the newspapers, we need fluoride, it's a nutrient, you're all going to, you know, your teeth are all going to fall out without it. Um, they've not really had to subject themselves to any kind of, should we say, peer review process or interrogative uh, requirements. Yeah, by anyone, including that. the media. Yeah. 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 Um you mentioned it um the seen as a um a nutrient that's deficient right um in in the human diet i guess isn't that th that categorization is responsible for it being a mass medication and and it not being seen as a mass medication because if you say it's a missing nutrient it's not like yeah. it's just that we're making up what you should have already right rather exactly. than saying we are we are mass medicating you with something yeah. that hopefully yeah. will make it a, an easier ride for our dental nurses you know yeah well it's yeah it's basically a false claim but i think that's why it's it's often made or why it has been made and it was um you know the american experts coming over here francis arnold and frederick steer and uh captain something lossy and some of these other american guys and our experts just went along with it with no criticism or skepticism. So, you know, the the scientific people love to sort of, um, I, I don't mean this in a condescending way, but, you know, people who are into science love to pride themselves often on critical thinking. You know, it's yes, uh, just one of those things. And our experts back in the 1950s did the opposite. We just went along with the American experts regardless. You, you could imagine it, though, little country down here, Mm. inferiority complex raging mm. back in those days anyway yeah. and um and these american hotshots come down on the pan am clipper whatever they arrived on and you know um they would have been hungry just to be 
consulted and talked to and would probably be like excited Labradors at the prospect of. of yeah, absolutely. So you can kind of see how how they went, how they were so dazzled. Would that be the yeah. description? Yeah. And the, the time period, you know, America's just dropped the bombs on Japan, you know, kind of a historical sort of era. Um, Joe McCarthy spreading, you know, anyone anyone who's, you know, advocating workers' rights is an evil Satan-worshipping communist and stuff. And, you know, this this kind of thing. So it was a bit of a intense kind of, I don't know, time period. Yeah. And I think, you know, in defense of the advocates of fluoridation, um, I, I took about six months off my full-time work back in 2017. And uh, I spent that six months going through about 17 files in the New Zealand Health Department archives and some of the National Library archives. And I didn't, I want to say a couple of things here. The first is that I didn't see any sort of desire to harm um, and the other is that I saw a lot of, there was a real sort of tense, you know, attention regarding winning the competition. So as soon as those anti-fluoride people said something, the expert guys, the, you know, the government and so on, they had to win and, yeah. you know, and counter it. And that sort of went on both sides with the anti-fluoride people doing the same thing. And it just made the whole argument kind of horrible. But um, so, yeah, there was a sort of a rush. And I think the best way for the government people was to just say, well, those Americans know everything and they're great yeah. and awesome. And so we'll just do whatever they say. Yeah, you mentioned the bomb. Uh, that's probably the line in the sand, really, where, um, you know, that coming out of that war and everything, um, that, that humans were starting to think that they kind of had superior knowledge. They could, they could craft the nature in any which way they wanted and, uh, and we're kind mm. of enhancing it and and bettering it. <laughs> we all know where that leads eventually. Um, yeah. In the Substack piece that I looked at of yours, there are some interesting clippings from a long time ago, which mm. showed that there was contrary advice and people mm. saying, "Well, actually, you know, the rats, because again, rats, you know, didn't show any benefit from, from you know, toothwise or any other benefits that were being claimed." There was evidence, and they were talking about it back then that. Um, that there was nothing here, there, there. You know, fluoride mm. wasn't. We we can't we we can't tell anything from what what's out there research wise. But that yeah. wasn't listened to. No, no. There are a couple of experiments that are just um, I don't know. They're, they're interesting in that the, the results were just kind of all over the place and wacky. And I suppose that sort of uh, maybe wacky is not the best word, but the results were sort of very inconsistent. And I think that demonstrates the sort of potential, uh, what's the word, interaction biologically of fluoride. You know, it's, it sort of has, um, the, the 1997 um, guys showed this best and or they, they phrased this really well, the 1997 Lord Mayor of Brisbane's task force. And they said something like, uh, there's, there's no definite, uh, limit or you know things in the in the scientific literature regarding um i'm just trying to find it here regarding the uh, sort of right amount of fluoride um there so are, yeah, here basically saying there's no right amount yeah there are no definitive limits in the scientific literature concerning safe and unsafe doses of fluoride responses can vary considerably between individuals depending on a range of factors including age, body weight, nutritional status, etc. 
Yeah, so that's Lord Mayor of Brisbane's task force yeah. in 1997. They phrased that really well. But yeah, these these rodent experiments back in 19 whatever. 50s, um, they, Leo, back yeah, then. they showed there's no deficiency state. And at this time in the media, the support was pretty much blanket. I mean, looking at looking at um, sort of 5,000 media articles, this question, yeah. you know, is fluoride an essential nutrient appeared in about 5% of articles and letters to editors. And that's the whole point of it all. And that's only 5%. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. they were they were constantly saying like this is one of those things in the latest video I put up. Um, the headline reads correcting fluoride deficiency. Um, it came out that article came out the same year as an experiment in Wisconsin where they showed no such thing as fluoride deficiency. Yeah. Also, the uh, the 1957 Commission of Inquiry, uh, which concluded fluoride's uh, you know it's, it's a nutrient, not a mass medication, uh, probably the best of the rodent deprivation experiments came out the same year as that document and said it's not a nutrient. So yeah. you, can, <laughs> you, um, can, you can sort of see why. Yeah, the, the pattern anyway that's been nuts. going. Yeah. Um, so uh, the interesting thing is that uh, dentists seem to, or the, or the dentist, mm. dental sector, I don't know, there'll be some in there who are sceptical, but... Uh, um, officially seem to believe still that it's a great benefit to oral health, particularly. Um, and yeah. they, you know, I'm even aware of a debate that was had down in Timaru um, not okay. too long ago, dentists oh, really? versus some of the people you, you named earlier, um, uh, pro and uh, and against fluoride. And it seems that they, they I mean, they were up for a debate, but they were ill-prepared, didn't really have the information, but yet still believed, and they very strongly. Now, they would know, surely, at their end, if teeth are better or worse. And, uh, I mean, do they have any credibility, or or what's wrong with them? Uh, yeah, the, the dental literature is really is really exhaustive, and it's, it's amazing in some ways in that... Um, Firstly, our experts, like I said, followed whatever the American experts said. So there is this kind of thing that people like Michael Parenti and Noam Chomsky have pointed to, and many of your viewers, I'm sure, are, are aware of your your listeners, uh, which is like experts or you know intellectuals, should we say, government bureaucrats, often with good intentions. You know, people in universities, maybe people who think we're you know us us educated people who think we're pretty smart often we'll just sort of go along with the powerful. Um, yeah, I I actually look at, in Appendix 8 of my book, I look at what's called the propaganda model, uh, which came from Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman's book, uh, Manufacturing Consent, which is how this, the media and more, you know, the mainstream big corporate media and more so the, uh, sorry, even more the not not only the media but the intellectuals and in some cases the science journals um well, the science communicators coverage you know those people yeah they manufacture consent for various things so i think there's been a fair bit of that and i do provide a fair bit of evidence to support that as well as um, an analysis of the propaganda model the three order predictions there um 
one thing that the dental literature is la it's lacking in a few things. One is, um, I would phrase it like this, the advocates of fluoridation have never had a mirror. They've never had um, the insulated from criticism. So the people who criticize them and uh, demonstrate flaws in their work, the advocates of fluoridation are often very justified in their own mind in ignoring that. So example, just off the top of my head, uh, 2012 debate in Arizona, Paul Connett and Dr. Howard Farron, oh, sorry, Howard Farron, uh, who's a dentist, Paul Connett, toxicologist. So he's against fluoridation. Dr. Farron is for it. Twice Dr. Farron said, Fluoride's an essential nutrient, just like iodine. Twice Professor Connett said, can you provide evidence of that, sir? And twice Dr. Farron just ignored it and didn't bother doing that. So the dental literature is lacking in that. And I would say that the, the claim that fluoride was a nutrient is just kind of presupposed. You know, it can be said without evidence, much like yeah. you or me might say uh, the world is round without you know, like I'm, I'm not a physics guy and I couldn't tell you the experiment that proved it, you know, yeah. that sort of thing, you know. I um, thought it was flat. <laughs> you, 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 I'm going to have to go back and find out more. No, I'm, I'm I, don't, just, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. but uh, I know well, what you're saying. Um, though the thing is that um, that pattern is with us for what? Okay, so we go back to the 50s, 50, 70, 75 years, let's say, 70, 75 yeah. years. Yeah, you still got your former Director General of Health, not my favourite person, who has come up in the modern era of medicine, got the job presumably because he had this incredible knowledge of health, public health, which dentistry, boy, that's that comes into that so much. Mm. And yet he's threatening councils around the country with a $200,000 fine and $10,000 a day not to compulsory medicate the local community. How do we explain that? Have you got any idea from all the work you've done that that, that 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 attitude could carry so strong all the way through to the point where you've got that? Yeah, well, I would I would point to the propaganda model. Um, and, you know, uh, Michael Parenti, the political scientist, pointed to a term he called uh, the graying of reality, which is about sort of how words and terms are misused a bit. And there's a there's a fair bit of that. So the term essential nutrient is misused and, you know, sort of made to mean something that's just a bit beneficial. Um, the term deficiency is often used to mean uh, just any water supply that's not fluoridated. Right. Um, that's in sort of technical <laughs> literature. And then you go to the public media and they're saying we're deficient. It's a nutrient just like iodine, which yep. is, of course, a misrepresentation. So, uh if I was summarizing my book in, you know, a couple of sentences, I would say that the advocates of fluoridation have consistently misrepresented the science on, you know, this particular question. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the harmful effects of fluoride, um, although there is a, you know, fair bit of overlap. You can't help but see a discussion on that. Um, also, like I said, these people have been insulated for seven decades they're, they're yep. justified in their own mind in ignoring anything an opponent of fluoridation says. So, you know, it's it's a bit of a difficult sort of weird position. Um, if you were an incoming government yeah. or minister of health or, or you know, um, seeking to, to put your stamp on the health administration of the country, 
you would, wouldn't you, I mean, maybe, I don't know how politicians behave on a day-to-day basis, but wouldn't you be up for, I want to know if this works or not, show me the evidence either yeah. side if you, and, and we're going to make a decision on that because for a start, it's cost an arm and a leg. And mm. um, if it's lowering the IQ of kids, well, that's not so good. Mm. So Absolutely. show me. It would it would show up pretty quickly, wouldn't it, Guy, that on one side there's a lot of evidence and on the other it's just like um, wash, rinse, repeat for the last 70 years. Yeah. So one of the things that I had a, a fair, you know, maybe a few years even of sort of difficulty coming to terms with was when I look at the rodent sort of deprivation experiments and the nutritional discussions on it, they're saying it's not a nutrient. But when you look at the dentists and the, you know, the advocates and they've got all these fancy graphs and statistics and they're going, oh, yeah, 40% benefit, 40% reduced. To yeah, if you believe it. If you, be- if you believe yeah. the finessed figures, yeah. Yeah. But then I read the York Review, which is a, a review that came out from Britain, the University of York in the year 2000. And they basically said um, they looked at 3,200 and something experiments or studies like that, those big citywide ones. And they said something like 2,900 were poor quality. Okay. I don't remember the exact figures, but but most of them are poor quality. Hmm. And so, of course, what happened after that is the British media took the York Review and then told everyone, hey, the York Review said fluoridation is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's all fluoridation. Okay, yeah, fluoridation. So cool. Come on, guys. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a fluoridation <laughs> weekend. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, and then Trevor Sheldon, who was the guy who sort of spearheaded or, I don't know, he had some sort of directive uh, position in the York Review, he wrote an article in the British Medical Journal in which he said, um, the media has, and, you know, the sort of scientific consensus, uh, you know, the impression these guys give the public has been totally one-sided. You know, he didn't say propaganda, but, you know, that's kind of what he meant. Um, yep. And the public scepticism is, you know, well-deserved. So that's in the in the British Medical Journal in 2007. I can find you the reference if you, if you give me a... No, no, I, I believe you. I cool. believe you. You wouldn't yeah. make that up. That, that would... Yeah. Uh, Something that, that uh, you would do. Okay, so um, we've been ta- on RCR. We've been talking about it quite a bit. Fluor- the whole issue of of mm. fluoridation of our water supplies, and I think we've had some very good information. Um, I'm just thinking back to an argument I had with a family member about a year ago over Christmas. We were there, and I I made the mistake of mentioning fluoride. Someone mentioned the water, and, I, and then we got onto fluoride. And um, and I mean, we're still friends, but. It was a very, it got very, um, well, it didn't get heated, but it got a bit mm. tense. And and I realized at the time, uh, and now I'm far more of a, aware of it, that the that repetition of uh, one message has really convinced people into almost an unbudgeable position. You, you kind yeah. of can't budge them. Even, even the concept of it being a mass medication and it's, that's morally wrong in of itself is still not enough yeah, to win yeah. over, you know, the, the, the benefits. And then of course you cite, well, the level of soda drink consumption is through the roof. You can see that with the obesity. So that's not good for the teeth. Uh, the, they were offering um, free dental care 
for 30 year olds and under well if their teeth were doing so well there wouldn't be a need to have free dental care because no one would Absolutely. be going to the, to the the dentist can you do you do you get a sense now with i mean your book how widely read has your book been um very very you know i could just about count the people that have read it on one hand well let's um put a rocket under that right here but okay what you know the 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 fact that there's a forum to talk about it now, I know it's small steps at, at the beginning, but can you see now, because this is what I'm feeling, that, um, and, and given what's happened the last three years and, and the trust in what experts have to say generally, that, that we could be seeing a pushback, and we've already seen that court decision on Bloomfield not yeah. even taking into account, considering the Bill of Rights uh, part of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some councils have put the stop on that in the meantime now which is interesting. So do you feel like things are starting, are on the turn maybe, or is that just being a bit too hopeful too early? Yeah, I, I don't know. I hope so. There's always hope, you know, but we uh, we don't know what's going on and, you know, the minds of people like uh, Dr. Bloomfield or or uh, Christopher Luxon or people like that. I mean, uh, my guess is as good as yours, but what works and in uh, fighting against fluoridation is consistency and constantly sort of getting um, an honest message out there. And maybe, you know, maybe we don't have all the, even if, you know, we, we don't have all the facts and figures, um, we can still stand up for our freedom, certainly. And uh, it would yeah, only I, take, I, I don't know. It would only take go, yeah. probably five or six stories i mean no kidding mm. on the six o'clock news yeah i think so yeah that's all it probably would take for people to start thinking oh wait on wait i you know yeah i think so and but, this is why uh i called my latest or there's a chapter in my book called how abundant is fluoride in food and this is oh. one of these weird weird things where you, um, I was going to call it who are the real scaremongers because these people, uh, you know, when I looked at those deprivation experiments, the researchers found it really, really difficult to make a diet low enough in fluoride to even test <laughs> if there is such a thing as a fluoride deficiency. Oh, so it's it's abundant. And I don't mean to say that to scare anyone. I just mean you don't need to worry about getting enough of it because it's abundant and you can look at the world health organization 1970 document on that the journal of the international society for fluoride research it's free online it's uh, it's had some really really good articles on that the 1971 came out the same year as that world health organization journal was a good one and they they got a lot of the research that the world health organization missed um in 1996 the world health organization said uh Fluoride is a cumulative toxin. Just a kind of interesting phrase, you know. <laughs> it's I mean, one it builds of those up rare occasions up up where up. they sorry. Well, they're saying is it keeps building up in you until you yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I, I say describe that as a the rare occasion where they told the truth or something. Maybe I'm a little cynical, but yeah, it's kind they of my attitude. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but uh, we, where it's going, um, who knows? I think we just need to really constantly keep on just being as uh, as honest as possible and just, you know, telling the truth. And um, I, I remember when Paul Connick first came on the scene back around 2010 or so, that was the first time I saw him, and he appeared 
kind of unstoppable, like he was elegant, he was eloquent, he was educated, he was exactly what you're supposed to do, and he talked about the science exactly as you're supposed to do. And, yeah, then they, you know, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Dr. Professor Broadbent uh, made that he got his experiment showing it didn't really affect the kid's IQ, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh yeah, but, but even even and even before you get to all of that, just mm. compulsorily putting it in something as baseline yep. fundamental as the water supply, we're we're, we're in we're in um, you know danger danger zone there already. Yeah. So yeah, so even if you could dispute all the rest you like, but even at that point, it's got to come yeah. out. Surely. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just um it's sick. Like it should never have got off the ground. You know. Like we shouldn't really be having this discussion. No, it's it's just such a weird sort of crazy issue, I think, in some ways. And it's it's you know quite quite a paranoid issue, like his, hysterically weird sort of paranoid. And that like oh we're all deficient in this stuff. And sure, some of some of us opponents of fluoridation have said, um, you know, have said the odd sort of really paranoid kind of thing. Um, like I. I don't really think the Nazis have used it. I've never seen evidence of that. I've never looked for evidence of that. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's not good to chuck it in the water like that. You've got no idea how much each, individ and each individual's getting. You can't control the dose. You know, if you drink twice as much water as me, you're going to get twice as much yeah, fluoride twice. as me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just had another thought only because I know, because I remember my grandmother talking about it because she was a dental nurse, you know, like one of those red cardigan okay. ones from 30s, 40s era. And and I remember her telling me that uh, back in the day, um, it was the usual thing for teenagers to have their teeth removed because wow. they were, would only become um, decayed later on and cause all sorts okay. of problems. So there yep. was a quite a, a big... I say industry, but uh, service and, and removing most of the teeth and replacing with dentures. Okay, yeah, now, I, I've heard I, of this. Yeah. I wonder if that's also something to do with it because that was probably a horrible thing to happen. If you think about mm -hmm. it, and that you would yeah. not want to have that happen. But I guess yeah. if you thought you were in for a, a world of toothache, you know, for most of your life, you'd probably want to head it off at the pass. But that might have um, that fluoride fluoride thing might have come along at the right time to make people feel confident now that they can leave their teeth in. So I'm wondering if that was possibly I think early, so, yeah. I think that's driver, a really interesting you know? point, Paul. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd agree with you there 100%. Because I So do the people remember... seize on to it, right? They seize on to yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do remember seeing people saying stuff like uh, New Zealand has the highest rate of dentures among young people yeah. in the world. And guys were getting was... turned out of the army because they had, you know, in their 30s and had false teeth or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a big thing. It may have had something to do with, the, the you know, just the setting up the psychology that hit at a particular time where there everything else happening. Mm, All right, have we missed yeah. anything, guys? Is there anything more that we need to know or you need to, to well, tell us? Um, um, how can people find the book? We want to make it more than just to count it on one hand or two hands. Well, thank you very much. It's, um, it's available online. Um, I think I've got you know two copies in my cupboard left or something that I haven't given away. <laughs> yeah. um, if you if you just wanted to sort of have a look at it because it, it is kind of big and so that makes it expensive. So the next sort of thing I write on fluoride 
and publish, I think I'll just make it a much um, yep. smaller and a bit more manageable. Um, I think many of the ebook websites, you can just have a wee browse into a book and sort of have oh, a look okay. and stuff cool. and yep. look at the contents and see what the, see what it's all about. And uh, I do post on my Substack, like you said, there's some good articles on there. And so some of the stuff that I, maybe I missed in the book because I keep on researching, you know, um, that, that can go on there. And you can always ask your library to grab a copy. Yeah, now there's a thing. Yeah. And yeah make them you, have it. <laughs> yeah. And if you, um, if any of your listeners are skeptical of what I say, I mean, fair enough, I totally respect people's skepticism. Uh, you can go to a library that has any uh, sort of newspaper database. And if you just type in the words fluoride essential, um, you'll be able to see at least digitized media claims yeah. of people saying fluoride's an essential nutrient. Because I sometimes get people saying to me, oh, we never said fluoride was a nutrient. Uh, yes, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think the reason they say that is, you know, if if, if they don't know, that's fair enough. But sometimes, you know, you get the sort of really educated promoters saying that, which I think, I mean, can't tell, but I think it's a bit dishonest. Um, and I think the reason they do that is they don't want to admit wrongness. So they're kind of kicking the can down the road for future advocates of fluoridation to admit wrongness. And, um, you know, as okay. soon as they say, as soon as they say, um, uh, you know, we were wrong about this, everyone's going to say, well, what else are you wrong about? Yeah. Yeah. So leave it to, to what the next yeah. generation of uh, happy talk fluoride promoters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, there, there was another another little thing I noticed now that you and your um, re, you and your listeners might be interested in, yeah. um, which was about um, the sort of involvement of big business in fluoridation, like the toothpaste industry and the junk food industry and yep. stuff like that. Yeah, we've heard about that. So, yeah, keep on going. Cool. Okay. Well, there, there is a really good book written by an Australian journalist called Wendy Varney. Uh, V-A-R-N-E-Y, and that came out, I think, in 1980-something. Uh, it's called Fluoridation, A Case to Answer, and she had a whole chapter on sort of industrial beneficiaries of fluoridation, and so do I. Um, it's it's actually the biggest sort of sub-chapter in my book. Right. Um, but she pointed out that the, uh, the, how does this go, the Right Honourable Sir Rupert James Hammer was the Premier of Victoria, from 1972 until 1981. His brother, Alan William Hammer, worked for ICI Chemicals, which is now Orica, a firm that sold fluorides. So she pointed that out, and I uh, went to the National Library and got the who's who in Australia and verified it. So that was kind of a close example of, of uh, you know, and sort of, should we say Over, a potential? Overlapping, overlapping. Yeah, a potential conflict of interest. Yeah, we say. Well, um, and, and and locally though, um, we should understand if there are any of those, shouldn't we? We need to possibly have if yeah. you compulsory medicate the water supply. We need to know is the management of that um, are, are those people connected in any sort of way with the industry side of it? Have they been in yeah. both camps or uh, how are they connected? Um, because it seems that um, that does play a role in how decisions. Are made. Let's be honest. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, who, who knows what goes on behind the closed doors? And you know, 
you you can find some really interesting stuff in the archives but you know if you have a conversation with you know with politicians and whoever has a conversation we don't know what they're discussing there's no record of it and that sort of thing um in the 1950s archives i found some advertising material from uh businesses that were sort of looking at um what do you call them i know the mixes and like industrial blenders where you would put the fluorides in and dissolve them and stuff like that and like nice glossy pamphlets (laughs) showing you know this is the whatever it is you know got some serial number and you know this is our new model and it can you know dissolve this much fluoride in a day or whatever the advertising thing was but um one of the one of the most amazing things i found is that in the technical literature um, you know the government literature and so on. They they sort of um, they completely ignored the big business side of things. While the advocates of fluoridation will often very publicly state, we've already dealt with all the arguments against fluoridation. You know it's all been done. It's all sorted out years ago. Uh, they've never addressed a lot of the sort of big business stuff. So one of the um, articles that did the rounds in 1950s America in the early 50s was from 1951 and it appeared in a trade journal called Chemical Week, which was a journal that started in 1914. And this journal was, it's it's pretty, um, it's it's quite upbeat reading. So the reporting is, you know, quite happy when, you know, some chemist makes a discovery or some uh, business makes some new product that's going to be useful for, you know, uh, mums and dads in America or whoever, but anyway, they had a, a article here. I'll show you. I got a little snipping of it. Can you see that? It says uh, it's like a photo. Uh, Water boom for fluorides. Yeah. Do you want to read any of that? Oh, it's that? it's a bit hard to read, and and oh, okay. uh, on the screen, maybe you could uh, read off that uh, little caption for us. So uh, it says. Um, Water supply addition of fluorides by more and more communities makes a water boom for fluorides. Only 1% of the nation's water is now treated. Thus, the market potential has fluoride chemical makers goggle-eyed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so plenty of business to be done there. 99% yeah. growth uh, potential. If... <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay. That says, yeah goes on most of these firms are now aiming sales campaigns at municipal water authorities federal money to develop interest means uh, this is my interpretation here so they're talking federal money to develop interest um so i think that means the taxpayers pay for the advertising used to develop yeah, their opinions that. yeah yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah um so this one went this one said something like um uh among the hang on among the chemical suppliers uh General Chemical, Harshal Chemical, Bloxin Chemical, you know, the whole list of firms. Um, yep. They're the sort of listed as the beneficiaries of the um, of that of the kind boom. of thing. <laughs> yeah. Now, what's amazing, um, I found 26 instances, and I list these in the, in the references in the book, um, where that article is cited and quoted by opponents of fluoridation, and I could not find one cited where the supporters of fluoridation are discussing it in any meaningful way there's you know one or two documents where they they name the journal chemical week but they say something like oh chemical week is really excited about fluoridation." yeah so it's more about the the story is more about how they're feeling about it rather than the 
year rather than these massive industries are going to make a whole pile of profit. You know, I I don't hate business or anything, and you know, I mean everybody works at a business, so I'm not I'm not a full on anti business kind of guy, but it should be honest, you know. Yeah, but also you'd expect the decision makers who have taken jobs paid by the taxpayer for their expertise and discernment and ability to make these tough decisions, that's where the rubber hits the road and that that has that's really failed, hasn't it? I mean obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So there's something um there's something just off about it. And I think that's why a lot of people are just not they don't sit well with fluoridation like it just doesn't feel right. It's sort of undemocratic, I think. It's undemocratic. And I think that's part of the reason why um, as soon as, you know, someone like you or me or whoever, like a normal, you know, average member of the public who might not have a PhD or whatever, um, as soon as they raise their voice, you know, the – the response from on high is always, well, you, you're not an expert. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a dentist? No, you don't know. So it's a bit, um, yeah, I think that's a bit undemocratic as well because it's going into that public person's body. And yeah. regardless of their education, their intelligence, their whatever affiliation or knowledge, um, they should still have their sort of freedom preserved and protected ideally in a democracy if it still is a democracy <laughs> yeah, yeah that's the next book right yeah yeah uh, i, I think yeah. i think you're saying here yeah, your first three books were comedy but maybe they're all comedy in the end yeah yeah this one certainly has some funny elements in it yeah yeah, yeah it does but it's it's professionally written so i i was lucky to have a couple of really good editors who uh just help me relax a bit on my own sort of yeah i don't know emotional involvement i guess yeah. so it's yeah. yeah it's professionally written yeah well um thank you for doing it um people know about it now and they you pointed people to where they can go for a, maybe a short version of that and there's your substack thanks guy for coming on rcr and um and and um telling us well that side of it it just adds to the picture so well you know because we, we don't want to be knee jerk. We don't want to be knee jerk. I mean, we've got to we've got to have Correct. proper arguments, and you know, um, and this is how yeah. we we get that knowledge. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, you know, there was one other article. Can I can I mention? Yep, one you other get thing? it um, in the nineteen ninety one uh, NHMRC National Health and Medical Research Council from Australia. That document pointed out uh, one of the earliest experiments used what we might call impossible statistics. So oh, okay. I think that kind of thing is kind of downplayed a lot. So if, yeah. like you mentioned something about jiggling statistics before and, you know, doctor numbers or something like that. I can't remember exactly what you said. But... The nest, I think I said. Was okay. It? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, really interesting um, talking with the guy Armstrong, author of How Essential is Fluoride? What Do the Experts Say? released in 2020. Thanks for coming on RCR, Guy. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. All the best. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to, either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. 
or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.